the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus did not come to this world to be anything other than a king in your life. The out-of-control life and the heart that stands condemned needs a king to rule and a king to set the guilty heart free. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And as a reminder, you can always tune into the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest, either online or in person. I'll have more information on that as we continue with today's broadcast. Today, we're going back to 2016 to a Christmas message that Pastor Mike preached entitled, The Christmas King. Now, we'll bring you the first portion of this message this weekend and conclude it over the New Year's weekend, and we certainly appreciate you listening today. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentech. Father God, I am grateful for a God who forgives. I am grateful for a Savior who is that forgiveness. And Father, I'm grateful for a high priest who is the living, resurrected Lord of all time, that we might ever approach you in his name. And without him, have nothing, but with him, have all that matters. Bless us, hold us, lead us this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Tuesday, I was camping with my son Donald in the mountains of Tennessee. Uh, we built a cabin there about a year and a half ago. It's kind of our getaway spot. We used to go to Savage River and here in Maryland, but instead we decided to go to Tennessee, and that's where I kind of renew up. I was with my son, John Michael. He left Sunday. Donald and I lingered to do some work around the camp spot. And I was off the grid with my son that week with lots of gas given by Grandpa for fun. Now, what do you mean by lots of gas? My son has a four-wheeler that's kind of fast and furious. Grandpa has a Polaris all-terrain vehicle to boot. And you put them together, I drive the thing you can sit in with a wheel. My son drives the thing that looks like a, a motorcycle. And we were just moving all over the mountains. We were driving any and everywhere having fun. For some reason that morning, I was impressed to get up and start praying for my children early in the morning. It was like 5 a.m. I just felt the Lord say, pray. And so I started praying right there on my cot inside the cabin we had built. And I had this sense that something wasn't right, that there was some danger lurking. And I needed to to search my life. I needed to pray for myself, pray for my boys, and make sure that our direction was Godward and centered in Jesus. And so I prayed that he would be with me and that he would take me and my life would be reconsecrated, my sins forgiven. I prayed for my wife that he would hold her close to him. I prayed for my little boys, actually my 19-year-old son and 16-year-old son, not so little anymore. I prayed for my sons that God would compensate for anything wrong that I had done in, in raising them. But more than this, that he would hedge them up to grow up as men of God. 
And I also pray that he would watch over them to keep them safe from unseen dangers. I prayed that morning with all my heart for my children. As the day progressed, I found myself with Donald on the side of a mountain at the bend of a gravel road. His four-wheeler had stalled because he ran out of gas. He was disappointed. He said, Dad, I forgot to put gas in it. Forgive me. I'm out here. i got to get back. The solution seemed kind of easy to me. I had a chain. The big Polaris was able to drag the other thing along. So he hooked up the four-wheeler to the Polaris. I was driving the Polaris. And so I started towing his four-wheeler back to camp. He said, Dad, you can go a little faster if you like. I'm conservative with these vehicles. My son was not so conservative. He said, I have brakes. I'm okay. Go ahead. Just take us back. For some reason, I kept the speed a little over 20 miles per hour. I don't like being pushed to go fast. I'm one of those conservative drivers. I go slow when I want to go slow. But as I was coming down the mountain, towing my son with a chain, just before a curve, I looked to the side of my vehicle, and right there in front of me was my son's four-wheeler. The chain was still attached to the back of the Polaris. It was moving ahead of me. I could see a look of worry in his face, an instant of terror. He said, my brakes have failed. At that moment, I saw the back of his four-wheeler lift into the air, and right then and there, I knew that if he stayed on that four-wheeler, as the chain was pulling the front down, it would flip and crush him, very likely to death. It was a life-and-death, sudden situation that had come upon us. It happened too quick to be purely rational. You don't think through moments like that. You're guided by powers that you cannot see to do something. I break my vehicle, forcing my son over the handlebars of the vehicle. He flew into the air, into the road. Within a second, he was flying into the air just before that four-wheeler, because of the chain pressure, flipped upside down and smashed itself into the ground of that road. He would have been under it. He would have been crushed. He would have been killed. Two seconds longer, I would not have had a son. As I saw him fly through the air, I realized that he would hit hard. He had a helmet on, thank the Lord. I mean, this business of riding these vehicles without helmets is utter foolishness. He had a helmet on, but that didn't take away the pain as he rolled in the road till he came to a stop. For a split second, I wasn't sure if he was all right. And then he got up, and this is my son, he got up and he started punching at the air and defensively trying to fight back some unseen something that had thrown him off his bike. I knew he was okay. He was scratched up pretty good. His lip was busted. His body bruised. He had road rash all over his back, but he was okay. That day, the devil tried to take my boy away from me. And the grace of God visited us on the road of life. And God answered my prayer that morning to keep my son alive. Now, how do you explain the visitation of God in life when it comes to you miraculously like that? I knew that day that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he woken me up that morning that he had stirred me from my sleep to pray for my son before the unseen crises came. We bowed our heads together and he was hurt and I was startled but thankful. We thanked God for answering my prayer that morning to give us victory over death on the road of life. Friend, there is no victory in life without a king who controls your life. I mean, if you want to be in charge of your life on your terms, there's no victory, there's no intervention for you in life. Jesus did not come to this world to be anything other than a king in your life. The out-of-control life and the heart that stands condemned needs a king to rule and a king to set the guilty heart free. If you want Jesus this Christmas 
and you aren't willing to bow down and seek him as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings in your life, if you aren't willing to get on your knees and say, Father, I give you my heart with comprehensive self-surrender. I cannot give it myself, but take it, make it yours, govern my life, my family's life, then Christ will not come to you this Christmas as God's gift because those are the conditions that are set before us. Jesus came at Christmas to be a king in every life that needs self-control. He came to be a king over the life that cannot direct the attitudes. He came to be a king in a situation that you can't fix and you can't manage because we live in a crazy world out of control. Before the book of Genesis ended, the promise was made by prophetic utterance. When Jacob was dying, he called his children together that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he prophesied of the future. His mind was directed to the tribe of Judah. And under prophetic utterance, he predicted that one day a king would come who would hold the scepter of the world and that the hope of the nations would be through him. Genesis 49.10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The word Shiloh is a formation of three Hebrew words. The SH is a relative pronoun that means who, or the one. The L is a preposition in Hebrew, and it means for. The OH is a pronominal suffix, and it means her. Shiloh literally means the one who is for her. The promise was made to Eve in Genesis 3.15 that God would send a son and through the line of the woman, the son, the one who is for her, would crush the deceptive serpent and bring us back to Eden. And so the book of Genesis ends with a repetition of the proto-Yungelian promise that the one who is for her would come, that he would come from the line of Judah and the scepter would come through him and he would be the king that all the peoples of the earth must surrender to in obedience. That wicked prophet Balaam saw him in vision as he tried to curse the people of God that he could only bless. Numbers 24, 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Isaiah the prophet saw him too. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I don't know about you, how many of you got banged up in this election that we had? I'm a registered independent. I'm not telling you how I voted, okay? But I want to tell you this. I don't like any of the choices. I don't like the right and I don't like the left. I want that which goes up. I want the kingdom of God to come. I don't think anyone keeps their promises in either party, am I right or wrong? And people say, well, you know, we'll fix this and that, and they never do. It seems the world just gets more horrible, more ugly as we near the end. Now, here's what I didn't like about this last election. I didn't like the fact that our state made it the law of the land to violate one of the Ten Commandments. I didn't like that. That that happened. I didn't like that that happened across the country. I mean, this election to me was a wake-up call that our country is in a state of dramatic moral decline. 
And friend, the answer to that is not to sit there and batter and beat up people who voted this way or that. There is a place for the Christian church at this time of our history to stand up and say, you know what, the Bible matters in our culture. The Bible matters in our personal lives. The lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ is relevant for us today. And and somehow I believe that as we near the end, there may come a day when we can no longer vote for anyone that we'll just have to firmly plant our banner in heaven's land and vote for Jesus to come. And when the world is no longer a safe place to be, I'm planning to place my right foot then my left on Zion's ground and never turn back. Isaiah was a major prophet. He prophesied that peace child who would come and he would exercise justice for the world. He would rule and he would be the fulfillment of all that was promised. Isaiah was a major prophet, but Micah was a minor prophet. But Micah's message was not minor. He prophesied that one day this king, the Christmas king, would come. And he pointed to the city of Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem of Frotha, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. Literally, who comes from the distant east, from days of eternity. The coming king would not just be a child of the line of Judah. He would not just be a son of David. He would be the one who came from the dawn of time, before the dawn of time. Mechedem me olam, from the east, from days of everlasting. In verse 3, therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in travail is brought forth. Now why does he say that? Because he would be Shiloh. He would be the one who is for her. He would be the one that would come as the promise to the woman. He would be the one who would crush the serpent's head. The ruler would come from Bethlehem. Then he says, The rest of the brethren shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I mean, God has not promised us a weak solution at Christmas. God has promised us the Christmas King. He has promised us an intervention in history, an intervention in our personal lives, that is meant to have authority over evil to overcome every evil. In the time the voice of the prophets grew silent, it looked as if the promise of God had failed. It looked as if God's word was not sufficient to meet its full end. For 400 years after the last Old Testament prophet had become silent, it looked as if God's word would no longer be found. Where is the coming king? The cry was heard. Where is Shiloh, the one who is for her? Where is the star that will defeat God's enemies? Where is the Christmas king that must come to hold the scepter high for the peoples of the world? Where is the Messiah? In the Dead Sea Scrolls, an unknown writer turned to the prophet to see of Daniel in chapter 9. And he predicted, rephrasing Daniel's truth, that the Messiah would come at the end of 490 years, 10 jubilees, and that he would be Melchizedek, the great king, and Elohim, the mighty God himself. The promise was stuffed away in a cave in the desert like so many other failed Jewish hopes and dreams. The Dead Sea Scroll, it appeared, was dead. The promise of Daniel seemed to have faltered on the prophetic futility of hopes and dreams that were not realized by human intervention. But it was not dead because the Word of God cannot be stifled. The Word of God cannot be stuffed in some cave and left there to be banished. When the angel appeared to Mary at the end of the prophetic period... 
Gabriel told her that Jesus is the coming king. That the child that she would bring forth would be the answer to the, the struggles and the fears of a hopeless world. Luke 1, 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. I mean, how do we know that Christ would be Jesus? Because heaven had decided that his name would be Jesus. And if an angel from God, if Gabriel, the mighty angel that stands in the presence of God, came to Mary and says, you name him Jesus then we should not be ashamed at Christmas to use the name of Jesus. We should not be ashamed to call on the name of Jesus. We should never be ashamed of a name that heaven gave us by which if you confess that name on your knees, you are saved before a holy God. And look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now we have two things happening here. Jesus here is both the Son of God and the Son of David. We will continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you would like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that at the close of our broadcast today. You can also attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in streaming format on that website. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Jesus is defined here as the king of the universe. He is the prince that will inherit all eternity, all that is. But he is also the king of Israel, the son of David. In the coming king, heaven and earth meet in the manger of Bethlehem. And the Christmas king is the peace child, the utter proof that God is not at war with you, that God is not at war with the children of men. It is no accident that a star led the wise men from the east to worship the Christmas king. It's no accident that the shepherds found the good shepherd who will rule his people with a shepherd's staff. It's no accident that the inscription over his head on the cross of Calvary read, Jesus, King of the Jews. The Christmas King was crowned at Passover with a cruel crown of thorns. Paradox it is. The Christmas King wore the kind of crown that makes you bleed when you wear it. Before he could rule the nations with a rod of iron, the Christmas king must conquer every person's evil with a crown of thorns as the symbol of his personal victory over every thorn. Think about it. Every thorn that hurts you deep in your life that you kind of talk about when no one's listening, maybe it bleeds out when they do. Every thorn in your side or in your heart or person was part of his crown of thorns. Every pain that pricks you stabbed him deeper than it does you. Every sin, every failure, and every disappointment that cuts you inside was keenly felt as his wound at the cross, and he faced every person's torture. One sin at a time inside his heart, and on his head there was a crown of thorns because there is no sin that did not pierce him. He wears a crown of thorns. The Christmas king wore a different kind of crown. The prophet Isaiah described the awful horror of the cross when he said, God has caused to meet in him all of our sins. Friend, there's nothing ugly and awful in you that did not find its prickly way into his heart and mind at the cross of Calvary. And so on the cross, the coming king conquered everything that you cannot overcome on your own. He overcame every single sin, every single weakness of character, every single outcome that threatens to crush you 
so that you can have God's authority in life to have victory in his name. Hallelujah to the Son of God, the Christmas King. Jesus' disciples wanted him to set up his kingdom on earth. Isn't that how it is? You say, Lord, give me what I want right now. Give me a breakthrough right now so I can solve my problems here on earth. And friend, God is not going to give you a breakthrough. I had a friend of mine at WAVA, David Ruleman, who shared with me recently. He says, you know, Pastor Mike, God is not offering you a breakthrough at Reaching Hearts. He's offering you something which is a brought through. He's going to bring you through whatever challenges you face. He's not going to pull you out of them. You don't need a breakthrough at this time. You need to be brought through. And that was very profound to hear that from him. You know, that's what Jesus does. He doesn't offer to just remove you from the challenges that are causing the frustration. He offers you the strength and the power to get through them, to become a better person, to have God in the mix. So Christ's disciples wanted him to set up his kingdom on earth, and he didn't do that. Luke 19, 11, and they heard these things. Christ proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I mean, they wanted a right now kind of religion. Give me heaven right now. Take away the cross. Take away the suffering. Give me what I want now. But Jesus says in verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far off country. What does the text say? To receive his kingdom and then return. Christ told Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world, right? How many voices do we hear saying today, well, his kingdom is of this world. You can have it all right now. You pray, you do the right thing, you, you put your prayer money in the box and God will give you what you want today. That is the popular foolish religion that we hear today on the television and the, and the radio so often, but it's not God's religion. The one who will rule the world at the end of time would not receive his kingdom here on earth. The Bible is very clear. He would have to go into a far off country to receive his kingdom and then return. A nobleman, the parable says, went into a far country to receive his kingdom and then return. Many Christians say, well, Pastor Mike, how do we, how do we know that Jesus is Lord? He's been gone for so many years. Christ was very clear why he went away. He says, I have gone to the Father to come into his presence, that, that king, and to receive my kingdom from him. In heaven I will receive it. When I receive it, I will return with it. The Christmas king receives his kingdom in that far off country, then he returns. So it's very clear here in the parable, something happens in heaven just before the second coming of Jesus. And Christians should be utterly aware of its cosmic significance because it will precipitate the return of Christ. Jesus came to this world, friend, to receive a crown of thorns. But when he returns from that far off country of heaven, he will have received his kingdom from his father. Revelation 19.12, Jesus returns with the armies of heaven with a crown with many diadems. And in verse 16, it says, He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ was absolutely clear that he went to heaven to receive his kingdom and then return. The prophet Daniel saw this heavenly scene. He saw four great beasts representing four world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. He saw the divided Rome of the Middle Ages, the ten horns come up. He saw an antichrist power in the Middle Ages, a little horn taking out three, subverting the authority of God in the church, persecuting the Christian church during the Middle Ages. At the end of the Middle Ages, he saw a reversal in heaven. He saw something happen in a heavenly judgment that gave to Christ the kingdom, that took it away from this medieval little horn power that turned the course of human events. Daniel seven, thirteen, and 14. I saw in the night visions, and what does it say? And behold, with the 
clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Look in the verse. Does it say he came to this earth in that verse? It doesn't say that. He said, what does it say? He came to the ancient of days and was presented to him. So here's a picture of Christ at the end of the Middle Ages, not coming to the earth in the clouds of heaven, but coming into the presence of the ancient of days, coming into the throne room of the universe. And look what happens in verse 14. To him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I mean, the Bible's very clear. When that nobleman went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom, he would return. This event does not occur at the beginning when Christ first ascended. It occurs near the end of time, after the Middle Ages, just before the second coming of Christ. Now, we've been studying the seven trumpets of Revelation. And the seventh trumpet is about the nobleman who receives his kingdom in that far-off country in heaven. In the ancient Jewish festival system, a trumpet was blown on the first day of every month for the purpose of holy convocation. There were seven sacred months in the Hebrew feast calendar system. From the first month, the Passover month of Nisan, to the final feast of tabernacles in the seventh month, the month of Tishra. From Nisan to Tishra, seven months, seven new moon trumpet blasts. That's where we get the seven trumpets of Revelation. The seventh month began with the seventh trumpet, the seventh new moon trumpet, that marked the end of the religious year and the beginning of God's reign for the future. In Leviticus 23, 24, the seventh trumpet was called the feast for the blowing of trumpets. When a king would ascend the throne of Israel, it was also symbolic because it represented the enthronement of God and his Messiah. And so they would blow trumpets when a king would come to the throne. Look at 1 Kings chapter 134. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him, Solomon, king of Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. That will conclude the message from 2016, the first portion of that message entitled, The Christmas King. Now we will conclude this broadcast next weekend. We hope that you will join us. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, the address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you are certainly welcome to join us online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.